3: Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that pits two movies with something in common in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious. On Monday's episode, we got lost in the woods with the Blair Witch, which means today we're staying home with our loved one and an ancient demon hell-bent on scaring us to death. From 2007, it's Paranormal Activity.
1: Can I get a little script, Jesus? <laughs> I think we're gonna have a very interesting time capturing whatever
0: is occurring or is not occurring. Windows are locked, doors are locked, alarm is
1: on. Something's
4: here. I feel it breathing on me. Hey, 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 please, I do. I'll do it. I'm
0: over here, I'm over here, bed. I'm over here. Oh,
3: So which versus demon, which creature will haunt our nightmares and which will be exercised from our memory? We'll have a winner at the end of the show, so let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles.
1: Release the Kraken.
3: Hello, Clash Putters. I'm Chris Tilly. I'm Alex. You're not in control. It is in control, Zane. And joining us for our second show this week, we're delighted to have with us two of the team behind the. Brand new, bloody brilliant, found footage horror dashcam. Writer and exec producers, Gemma Hurley and Judge Shepard.
1: Thanks for having us back. Thanks for
3: coming back. (laughs) Thanks for being here. (laughs) Oh, so uh, obviously, dashcam out in cinemas now. Um, Let me ask you this How was making dashcam compared as an experience to your first found footage movie, Zoom? Host. host. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> called, it's called
1: Zoom in Japan.
3: It
4: is. That's what oh, you were thinking
0: wow. yeah. yeah, I was That's talking about the Japanese <laughs>
1: version.
3: Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I like to watch all my movies in Japanese.
4: Uh... <laughs> uh, well, the difference, I mean, the, the main difference, we had a little bit more time. Like, Host, we had two weeks to come up with a story before yeah, they started shooting. Something like that, yeah. And with Dashcam, we had like a month or so. Um, so we did it in like you know, September... October and then yeah. they started shooting like straight after I think
1: still over Zoom though we, we still, still wrote Zoom. it over Zoom the, the, the main difference honestly is just the, the software that we use so we we, <laughs> we wrote host on Google Docs because it because it had a collaboration Sorry, feature. That was it no you joke. were going to
3: say editing software or camera <laughs> you mean Google Docs versus Word
1: yeah <laughs> well Google Docs yeah and but then uh, we've got a little bit of fancy with, with uh, Dashcam so we wrote that um, in Final Draft 12 <laughs> like,
4: we Collaborate on the collaboration it yeah. so was still like not in real life I'd only met Jed once yeah. when we started writing Dashcam I think yeah and I hadn't met you at all when we did Host so that was no, yeah. the main oh difference
1: like, Yeah.
4: oh now I know how
5: tall you are so I've well, known Jed longer than you yeah, yeah. you have
1: <laughs> no, but the, actually the, the main difference was in Host it was it was me and, and Rob like pitching Gemma ideas and her going mm. and then in Dashcam <laughs> hey 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 <laughs> and in Dashcam she was pitching us the craziest most goriest ideas and we were like Gemma you've gone too far now yeah, we've we made sick. a monster <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean
3: to watch both films back to back it certainly looks like Dashcam was a lot more or I guess taxing to shoot as a movie because it's so visceral. There's so much going on. At least that's how it looks to watch it.
1: Yeah, well, well, uh, from start to finish, uh, for for host, uh, it was conceived and released within a twelve week period. Jeez. It's it, it, it's, insane. it's insane. So obviously, we would, with Dashcam, there was a lot more time, and um, like Rob and our producer, Doug could do pickups and things like that for things they wanted to fix, um, and obviously just a bigger budget with with Blumhouse involved. So you can see, there's just we we throw the kitchen sink. There are so many stunts, um, and yeah, it's just a, it's basically like kids like getting. Their first kind of birthday money, where they can spend <laughs> on all the toys they want. So
4: yeah. make our audience is sick. Yeah, it's mm-hmm.
1: so extreme.
3: Like yeah. it's, mm. it's it's great, but I mean, there's some pitch black humour yep. in there as well. I'll say two words to you: just married. Yeah. Oh,
4: <laughs> um, we're
1: sorry. Do you, do you know what? I I actually think that that was your idea, Gem. I think because make her
4: pregnant. Yeah, because I, I had I,
1: yeah, because I had like the, the car crash. Like, what can we do now? let's just have a car smash into them. And Jim was like, what if? What if it's they've just got married <laughs> and she's pregnant? I was like, "Wow, Gemma, what what is going on?" But I loved it. Yeah. <laughs>
4: there, there was some darkness. I mean, the, the main difference for me about host versus dashcam was like host had really strict parameters, right, because of the time limit. You know, we knew who the actresses were. We kind of knew what was going to happen. In this, you know, they're, they're going to be attacked on a Zoom call by a by some kind of tolper or demon or something. Mm-hmm. And then, but and that's all we that was all we kind of had to work around with dashcam. It was like. Whoa! Like, let's just do anything and yeah. just keep trying and like, you know, like one-upping it each time. And I think that was more like a completely different tone when we were developing it as well. Yes, yeah. we were like laughing all the time, the same we did with the host, but we were really just trying to like, how can we fuck each other over and like get this yeah. into the script mm. a bit? Because
1: I remember, and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm going to try and do it without spoilers. Where I pitched a, a moment that happens near the end with with certain blood flow, mm. and um, mm-hmm. Gemma was like, no. <laughs> like straight away and I was like come on and rob was like yeah we're doing that because me and Rob are genuinely like little kids when we talk talk about horror uh J- gemma's the sensible one and um and she like reigns us in quite a lot because if it wasn't for gemma we would be making the just bizarre non-commercial gross out <laughs> movies that are more experimental but but gemma kind of reigns us in them and, and, and puts Gives us structure, really. So that's why she's essential.
4: <laughs> we'll just try and, like, let's have some character relationships or yeah. something oh, around the stuff. Okay, yes.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Like... I was like, why want the car in the air, Jebba? He's like, yeah, but the person but why
4: inside is. I car should... in the air. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not that much of a dick.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's great. Uh, it's great fun. Uh, go and see it. It's at cinemas right now. That's Dashcam. Brilliant. So thank you for making the time to come in today. Uh, we're going to be talking more about Dashcam, I'm as we head through today's film because Chris is going to be opening the front door to a house of horrors today as he is our guide through paranormal activity. Chris takes on a journey.
5: Paranormal Activity is a film about three men who let down a woman called Katie. (laughs) The insensitive boyfriend, the cowardly psychic and the demonologist who just can't be asked. <laughs> uh, Katie's being haunted by a demon, but rather than do anything to actually help her, boyfriend Mika buys an expensive camera and uses it to work on a project of his own. When Katie quite rightly points out that the camera is making things worse, he ignores her pleas and continues to film. Then there's the psychic, Dr. Fredericks, who, when the proverbial hits the fan, shows up at Katie's door to tell her she's on her own. (laughs) Then finally, there's the demonologist who goes on holiday rather than help Katie. You had one job, demonologist, and now because of you, someone is dead. The end. (laughs) <laughs> so, Gemma, when did you first see Paranormal Activity?
4: Probably, I think I saw it in a cinema when it came out. It was like, what, 2007 2007? yeah. Yeah, so that was like, oh, I'm a university. I can see horror films. I'm 18. Uh, yeah, that, that was one of the ones I saw in the cinema, and it just blew. This is probably one of my favourite horror films, along with Blair Witch Project. It just blew my mind. It terrified me. That whole scene, I mean, we'll get into it, but there's, there's a scene in that attic that happens that I just had nightmares
5: about. For, for weeks and weeks afterwards, Jesus. And, and a scene where nothing happens, which when is amazing.
4: Happens. Yeah, <laughs> Ooh, a bit more than a bit more than the film last week.
5: Yeah, yeah. Jed,
1: um, yeah. I also saw it in, in the cinema, and uh, again, this is just my jam. Anything even remotely like this is is my jam. Um, fan footage. I think after Blair Witch came out, there were just thousands of fan footage films that try to like jump on the trend, and they were all awful, to be honest. And they set fan footage back a long time, but then. But then Paranormal Activity came out. I was like, oh wow, there's a good one again. Mm. There's a great one. Um and like like Gemma said, it is one of the it's in the top two best found footage films ever, and in the top probably ten horror films for me. Mm. Um, when I first saw it, I was just very jealous that someone had done this before me. And I was like, this is so good, and it's so simple. And it basically created the template for Blumhouse Films in the future, a family. Uh, and a supernatural thing happens, and they get an expert in. The expert doesn't really help very much, and people die. That's the Blumhouse <laughs> formula. <so> true. Yeah,
5: <laughs> and I promise this is the last time I'm going to mention your podcast this week. But Eduardo Sanchez says on that this is the film he wished he'd made. Yes. Ah. but there were all these pretenders to the Blair Witch crown afterwards, and they were happy they hadn't made them. And then they watched this one and thought, "Man, why didn't we do that?"
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and conversely, I can't remember if it's on the podcast or if I can't, I cut out some gold. But Oren Oren Peli, um, he was a a massive Blair Witch fan, and he would basically, essentially stalk Eduardo Sanchez and and say, "Hey man, I'll just let's have a meeting. I'll buy you coffee. I'll buy you lunch. Can we just talk about films?" And they did that, and um, it kind of inspired Oren um, to to make Paranormal Activity to give him the the impetus oh. to kind of get his own thing together because he's a massive Blair Witch fan. Amazing, Alex.
3: I was there uh, reviewing for a newspaper at the time this came out, and I couldn't make the press screening that all the journalists go to together. So they put on a screening and I assumed there would be other people there, but it was just me. So I watched Paranormal Activity on my own in a screening room, which you'd think would be fine because you know there's an entire office the other side of a door, but it doesn't help. It was one of the most terrifying experiences I've ever had in a cinema, watching this on my own. I bet.
5: My first viewing was a press screening, but there were people in it. And as I said on Monday... As a grown-up, only two films have given me nightmares, Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity. And worse still, that the night after I watched it, um, uh, I was asleep and my bastard brother came in my room and pulled the sheets off my bed (laughs) and terrified me. And I was fucking living. And the next day, the morning, I went down to his room to have a go at him and he wasn't home and he hadn't been home that night. He'd stayed at a friend's house. What? 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 So this was all in my head. What I guess I had a nightmare, but it felt real and I I I remember shouting at my brother and I don't I guess it didn't happen, he wasn't there, but it it something messed up happened that dun, night. Dun, dun. That's scary. <laughs> Anyway, should we talk about the make of the film? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this one all starts in 2003 when Oren Pelley moves into a house, this house, the house in the movie. And it's the first time he'd ever lived in a detached house. And he said that when he was living in apartments, you'd hear constant noise and that was the people around you. But in, when you're in a detached house, you hear a noise. It's the house making the noise. So and he said he started getting scared. And it's funny, you said on Monday, I'm in my property. Nobody can invade my house. This <laughs> is what Oren Pelley was thinking. What if the noise is coming from in here? What's going on? I keep hearing noises. And he said, I knew it wasn't a ghost, but it made me feel vulnerable during the night. And I thought, well, that feeling is universal.
3: Mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, I, I get that. I get that a lot. Being in your home and, and not feeling... Like, safe. Like, yeah. I have nightmares about people getting into the home, but not even like people, not your classic intruder mm-hmm. thing. Like, I, I do believe, like, you know, I've run out of rooms. Like, if I turn the. If I turn the light out if i'm in a, if I've watched a horror movie and I turn the light out in a room, I will then sprint to my bedroom <laughs> as fast as possible uh, because, and then I lock the bedroom door. I had locks put on every door in my house so that I can lock out monsters <laughs>
4: oh, how, how, old, how old were you at this point? this is now uh, this, 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 is, this
3: is now oh I, the, I, I realize how insane it sounds, but the idea of monsters still terrifies me yeah.
1: Oh, oh totally and like um, it's it's just a classic horror movie trope that um, something scary is something that's like domestic something mm. invading your family that's mm. the scariest thing of all your family and your mm. friends and yeah. you getting hurt
4: your safe space is not
1: safe it, exactly because like it, all very well going into the woods that's you're inviting that onto yourself because you'll go into the place where the scary thing is but if you're at home just chilling there shouldn't be any scary mm. things I guess, so wait,
5: I guess you could call this a home invasion movie yeah yeah Oh, yeah, totally, yeah. It's just the invasions coming from inside the house.
3: There was a Stephen King short story in his compilation Night Shift called The Boogeyman, and it was about a creature that came out at night and it always killed his family's babies, his firstborns, over the years. And like they'd find footprints in the corridor, the father would, of this thing. And it just lived in his wardrobe and it came out at night. And to say it out loud, you're like, and that was scary, it but was, it's yeah. genuinely like the idea of something, locking yourself into your home and thinking you're safe and then finding out that the thing is actually in your home and you've locked yourself in with it.
1: Yeah, you know, Rob Savage is is making the Boogeyman movie right now. Hmm.
3: Based on that story? Yeah. So like, oh, yeah, really? Yeah, he, Come he, on, Alex.
1: He's making it right now. did a <laughs> lot of research, <laughs> <laughs>
3: like, which was a lot of information. Is <laughs> he really? Was. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. he's just he's in the editing mode uh, for it right now, so...
4: Awesome. See it. Yeah. Fantastic.
5: Oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, so Pelly's idea was what if you set up a camera at night, filmed what was happening and then how freaky would it be to watch the footage back and something did actually happen. Yeah. So he spent a year planning this film. He he didn't know what he was doing. He learned about cameras, he had to figure out what special effects he was capable of creating and wrote around that, which is kind of how you approach host isn't it like the, yeah. the, some of the the gags were based around what people were capable of doing themselves in their houses during lockdown?
1: Hundred percent. Like when we first had the meeting with with the, with the cast, we were just like, okay, let, let's. We've got a list of like the kind of scares. But if you guys have anything in your house that you can pull down, connect with a wire, and we'll, let us stick that in. So five minutes later after that meeting Hayley sent us a video of her sitting in the chair and her chair getting pulled back and this is without any VFX and we were like "Well, how did you do that and it was just literally it was um, like rock climbing ropes on the back of the chair that her boyfriend Kieran pulled and, and we kept, that's in the film with like mm. no VFX around mm-hmm. it Um so yeah, it's just we use what was was around us, and and in some respects, that's what we did with dashcam too.
5: I was going to say, but is it is it was it freeing with dashcam that you didn't have to write it happening in a bedroom or a back garden <laughs> that you yes. could actually open up the world. That's true,
4: but yeah, it's like, it was what Lucky Thirteen could do. I think wasn't that? Yeah, Bob that's a stunt was like, team.
1: Lucky, Lucky
5: Thirteen. Yeah, yeah, he was
4: like, "What would you like to do? Uh, let's do that." kind of thing so there was a I think there was more collaboration in that yeah
1: sense. the whole thing is a collaboration I think with these fan footage films they have to be collaboration because you you're really relying on on the your protagonist to kind of pull something out the bag and to find gold um yeah so it's, it's and,
5: interesting. and you talk about that collaboration on the on the um the commentary for Activity, which is one of the best commentaries I've ever heard he just oh. it's a brilliant masterclass in in making a movie um Oren Peli talks about the fact that a lot of these found footage films that follow Blair Witch messed up by casting bad actors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big thing for him. That audition process was finding people who could be spontaneous, intuitive and think on their feet. Katie and Mika auditioned, they got the gig. They called Katie and Mika in the movie, as we have discussed on Monday. It's a simple way of doing things to, to, to keep it easy for your actors. But he said he wanted them to be blunt and honest and sometimes annoying, as that's what real couples are like, and have fights and have conflicts, but still love each other at the mm-hmm. end of the day. And I think you get that from these characters. Yeah, They feel like a, a real couple.
1: I, th- I think, again, like Heather in mean, Baywatch. Witch, Katie is a real find. Mm. She's yeah, so is. natural. I'm not mm. so sure about
4: Mika. Sorry, Mika. <laughs> no, you
1: are you are right. She she carries yeah. this movie. And yeah. this this movie is again one of the biggest return on investments of all time. And it's it's Katie who carries the entire movie. If you don't believe her in her authenticity, then the movie dies. But again, it's all on her shoulders and she smashes. It's amazing,
3: it. isn't it? Because yeah. like you really it's it's you're right. It's such an incredible performance in so much as she somehow has gives this air of a woman who has come to live with the fact that there is a demon in her life and that's just life for her. Yeah. <laughs> she's just, she's aware she's that it's there. She's
5: not, she doesn't want to piss it off. That's all Mika. Yeah. She's just like, this is this is me. It follows me around. And I mean, this was a big thing that he says is that he didn't want her to be hysterical. Mm. He wanted the authentic because he said when, he, he did a lot of research into ghosts and demons, decided to go with a demon and then when you'd be watching these stories back, it was people who've just come to terms with this being in their lives, even, mm. even though it's made up. Um, mm. So, uh, but it's funny you say that about Mika. Um, he said that when he would, you know, stand at the back of the cinema and hit, watch people coming out, he said a, a good percentage of people would say how much they hated Katie and a good percentage would say how much they hated Mika. How
4: could you hate Katie? Yeah, that's Who are weird. These
5: people? Um, I guess maybe because she hasn't been honest with Mika, as he said, like she's brought this demon into their world and she sort mm. of kept it from him that this thing... Tends to return regularly. Sure,
3: sure, 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 sure. But but when when she finally goes right, look, I'm sorry about that. I should have told you. Probably don't piss it off though. That's when he should listen and rather yeah. than go. Well, I'm probably going to piss it off as much as possible. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed.
4: But it's like I mean, like without getting too like metaphorical and English lit about it, like it's it's a metaphor as well for like the something horrible happening in her childhood. This demon. It's mm. not necessarily something you tell someone. Um, ever, maybe mm. like and it's like, does she trust Mika enough to tell him? And mm. I don't know if he's earned that trust based mm. on his personality. That's so yeah. true.
5: Mm.
4: Yeah, so I don't know, I don't know, but pe- people don't like Katie apparently. I can't I can't figure I mean, this out. It seems to be
1: a theme, right? Yeah.
4: <laughs> I wonder yeah. why. Yeah. I mean this uh comparing this to Blair Witch Project last last week, um, this is but this is a film where people start acting um strange when they are exhausted and when they feel hunted and there is that kind of um that synergy there um which is yeah i mean other than that like i, I can't figure out too many other um parallels apart from these strange dynamics that are forming between like the the male and female characters
5: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's there But also um, the house is the third character in this movie And yeah. um, he said he quickly realised that his house wasn't working um, It's the house that's used But there was carpet all over the place The walls were too white There was no art on them There was no rail on the st- staircase So he had to convince his girlfriend To let him remodel the house to make the movie <laughs> um, Which he did He said it was improvements he wanted to do for a while And it was the only way the movie would work So remodelled the house And then they shot it in seven days Wow. <gasps> they scheduled 5 days and they uh added another 2 in case they needed reshoots which they did. And then there were days of reshoots afterwards, but what we see is basically what they shot in a week. <gasps> Crazy. Holy shit. Crazy. It's amazing. Well, by, by, which was just 8 days. Yeah. 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 It's incredible. Um, this, this was seven. <laughs> 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 one better. Uh, he said he then <laughs> Um But he said then they did some ADR at Katie's apartment, and he said it was a very easy to do ADR on this film because the characters are off off screen a lot of the time. Yeah. And there's there's one key moment actually where there's a there's a really useful bit of ADR that they were able to do that that sold a scene that wasn't working. Interesting. But I um, think he showed his wife this film afterwards because that is. <laughs> That is a house she then has to sleep in
3: forevermore. If that was my house and I watched this movie, I would never be able to separate out the fact that I'm watching a work of fiction from the idea that this is my house. Well, I
5: don't want to go on record with this, but he does refer to his, his girlfriend at the time. Right. So maybe, maybe. Uh, that. Could be a wife? Could be wife. Yeah. No, I don't need to say it like that. I don't need to say it like <laughs> yeah. that. Um, but um, he tinkered with the film for a year. He said, some days I watched it back and think we'd made the next Blair Witch. Other days I thought it was unreleasable. Um, he, he kept flipping back and forth. But when um, the film was done, he read some books on how to get the movie seen. Wow. And this is when it becomes a story of incredible rejection. Yeah. Um every, every um, festival turned it down. Every producer turned it down. Um, the only uh, festival that said yes was Screenfest in LA, mm-hmm. which is not a big festival. No. But you've got critics there, and the guy who runs the festival said, send out screeners, and then they got a great review in Dread Central, bloody disgusting, LLE Weekly, played one well in front of the audience. People kept telling Oren that it gave them nightmares the next day. But... Mm-hmm. No one wanted this film. Uh, the only people that vaguely were interested were director DVD company DVD companies at the time. But he felt theatrical was the way to go, so he held out. He got involved with the CIA agency. They were trying to sell it to director DVD. He kept he kept holding out, um, and that's when Jason Blum got involved. His um, his partner Steven Schneider loved the film. Showed it to Blum. He liked it. Uh, They agreed to partner and potentially release it theatrically. And then there were some cuts happen. They tweaked the movie um, because Blum said, if you tweak it, you can resend it to people you've sent it to before and say it's a new cut. And they Mm -hmm. did that, got rejected again. Someone at DreamWorks liked it, um, but they didn't buy horror films. They didn't really buy films, DreamWorks. um, And they wanted to remake it with a big budget, big stars, and they were going to let Oren Pelly direct it. Mm -hmm. And he said no. Wow. Um, he did not want, he felt like he'd made a film that could be released in cinemas. And so um, it got accepted into Slamdance, it got good reviews there. Um, and he was going to go with the DreamWorks deal, but there was something in the contract that said before it happened, DreamWorks executives had to do a test screening that they would attend. So they screened it for a test audience, the executives came. And before the screening ended, the bosses were talking about giving it a wide release and coming up with ideas for TV spots. Wow. So that happened really fast wow. based on an audience reaction. Great. Um, no one seemed to be particularly happy with the ending, though. So they'd agreed they would work on that. And then a couple of days later, the head of DreamWorks said, We're going to release your film, but we need Steven Spielberg's approval. <laughs> Uh, he'd apparently watched it, but stopped it halfway through. And the way it got back to them was because he didn't like it. But apparently it was because he was too scared. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> uh, so he, he got up the next day, watched it in daylight, um, thought it was brilliant, loved it, gave his approval and said, I've got an idea for the ending, which they used, but we'll get to that okay. uh, when we talk through the film. But um, then DreamWorks broke up but paramount acquired it um there was even problems there because paramount hadn't been at any of these test screenings but they released the film and the rest is history so should we talk about the movie Mm, yeah right in america this film doesn't have any company logos at the start, which is amazing. We do here on the UK version. But all that came up was uh, Paramount Pictures would like to thank the families of Mika and Katie and the San Diego Police Department. <laughs> now, you like a title card, Jed. We've established that. Yes. How are you feeling about this one?
1: I admire that so much. And I know we actually wanted that for host, didn't we? Mm-hmm. We, didn't, we, we didn't want any... Logos at the start, so pe- people would buy into your authenticity, but unfortunately, mm. we're contractually obliged to do it. And, like, in that dashcam, the Blumhouse thing, but the Blumhouse is cool, the yeah. their little kind of ident. Yeah. Uh, but if it was up to me, there'd be no credits and, and no logos at the start, it would just be the mm. footage. That's how every good fan footage yeah. should start.
5: It's all about selling the lie. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, it's September the 18th, 2006, and Mika's filming Katie. Um, he's brought a camera to chronicle whatever paranormal activity is happening Um, he starts filming everything and so Mika is um, he's a day trader and I think that plays into his personality he's he's confident he's cocky he's fearless and he takes risks
3: and he's an alpha male He's, he's an, an alpha like, male. Yeah, he's uh, you know, very competitive. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, obviously, he's competitive with a demon. <laughs> like,
4: it's, I mean, it's, you're it's never going to win that
3: battle, are you? Yeah. It's insane that he's like, you know, this is my house. This is my girlfriend. Yes. You know, I'll take you on. It's like, mm. you can't even see it. It's a demon. Toxic masculinity. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, yeah. Well, coming from a financial uh, background myself, working in finance, you do see demons every single day. So, <laughs> so he, Mirror?
4: Yeah, yeah.
1: Good point. Uh, so, yeah. I can see his competitiveness with the demon would be would be easy for him.
5: And Katie is an English major, and she's hoping to become a teacher. So um, that scene where they're making dinner, um, Oren Peli gave them the camera, asked them to make dinner and talk, and then left. And they shot the evening's footage themselves together. And then he watched it back. That was their first night. He liked some of it. He didn't like some of it. They reworked it. They shot it again the next night and then they were rolling like they'd they'd figured out who these people were and how they were, how the process was going to work. Um, And it takes a while to get to the first scare here. Um, How do you feel about that when you're writing your scripts? Do you feel pressure to to have an early scare in your in your movie? Or do you like to take your time?
4: You've got to set the tone. We Mm -hmm. try to do that with both the films, like, you know, let you know what kind of movie you're watching. Like you know, there the, this is the kind of rule. So in host we had like a little thing where like, oh, there's like a someone's throwing. There's a there's a bump. There's a bumping sound. Like what is that? Turns out to be a false scare, but you still mm. kind of like set up those expectations.
1: yeah Yeah, and i think um host is an interesting example because act one is the majority of the movie and like it's just the introduction of these characters and because we want you to like love these characters so when things bad things happen to them you it really hurts Mm. we kind of don't have any scares in host proper scares until the end really Mm.
4: yeah halfway maybe like you
1: know yeah actually yeah about halfway we have the the, the attic scene yeah
4: yeah but I mean Host is like a 60 minute movie So, but like yeah, yeah you're, you're right it's like I, I'm sure it's quite frustrating for some people like when when is things going to get scary but all of that frustration is just like anticipation mm.
5: and no exactly and, yeah. and he was asked to quicken the pace and whenever he did the film w- was less scary audience was saying mm-hmm. and it's really interesting quite specific here he said he thinks that the, the notion of these people filming each other on their cameras at home made people antsy and anxious and it rewired their brains to think they were watching a real home movie mm. rather than a movie yeah. so that slow pace at the start was key to having your brain in the right mode yes. for what's to follow.
3: And even though it is slow, I mean, again, we are joining this couple like where this is already happening. It's not that, you know, yeah. she has already been haunted by this thing. Like, one of the first things Mika says about the camera is, I bought it to. Film, this paranormal activity oh, that is going on yeah. in our house which is great you know there's no sort of like oh what's that in the night it's like there is something out there we
1: know it's out mm. there i want to capture it yeah but- such a good point because if if we did capture their very
5: first uh haunting it wouldn't feel real because mm. why would the cameras be set up no. so
1: yeah no that's really interesting
5: We're going to take a quick break now but when we come back it's night number one And we're back with night number one, 208 in the morning, low rumbling, creaking, footsteps on stairs, jangle of keys, silence. Uh, that's the subtitles which <laughs> I used uh, when I was going through this film, which were quite helpful. But that first shot, as I say, nothing much happens. But he said he spent months trying to get that shot right, where the bed was, the actors were, the doorway in the frame. to being able to see in the hallway, but not view it clearly. So you're never sure where to look. And he, he got the shot right after figuring out that he needed to put a lamp on a dresser off camera facing a wall that was the key and it took him a long time to get the exact right and, and it and i guess it works because the, the beauty of this film is is you're looking around the frame Yep, that shot is iconic like yeah. that shot and no and
3: yeah. like, i don't mind uh some of the sequels i can't remember which is which anymore. three's the best yeah
1: the ones in the 80s it's,
3: yeah, but, it's, amazing. it's sort of amazing that like, the more cameras they added sometimes and the more they tried to do with the cameras, nothing really beats. For me, the yeah. simplicity mm. of this one shot and returning to this one shot night after night and it's sort yeah. of being like, you know, you can go, right, the shot is the shot. So then you're only paying attention to the different things the demon does in the night is the way it's mm. escalating the haunting of this house. Yeah. Although... You do find out later that the demon sort of may be hanging out in the loft, and <laughs> you do then once you found out there's the loft and that there's a little rickety stepladder up to the loft, and Katie actually says to me, "God, oh, got to be careful on that thing. <laughs> and then every time after that, like you watch it and you see the light come on at the end of the corridor, Ooh. you're like, that's safe, that demon, because <laughs> it's, it's got to climb down a ladder, so it puts the <laughs> light on first. <laughs> and I
5: couldn't stop thinking that. I was like, clever. You've got a step ladder to go down, stick the light on first. <laughs> um, so we meet uh, the psychic Dr. Fredericks now, um, who plays down the chances of it being a haunting. Um, And we get Katie's backstory. So this started when she was eight. It happened in their first house. Then there was a fire in the house. And then from 13 onwards, this would happen periodically. And the the past few weeks, it's been happening again. I think it's just the right amount of backstory. Mm. I mean, watching the sequels, there's a lot of backstory we now have. I mean, we know I know what the demons called. I wish I didn't. (laughs) Do you remember what he's called? No, Toby. oh Oh, right is it really yeah
4: yeah Toby the unfriendly ghost
3: (laughs) (laughs) it's uh, I'm glad we don't find that out here but there's a good use of language (laughs) you shouldn't underestimate like the fact that the the language that they use when she's describing what she sees at the end of the bed and she calls it a mass and just like the use of the word mass Mm. is like there's something creepy about that so it is very cleverly written some of the words
1: yeah. And just what you were saying Alex before the the composition of that shot um the, the iconic shot of just the bed the doorway um it and and it's quite cinematic but in a in a believable way because again with 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 host doorways um, and empty doorways especially are the scariest things in horror movies because um it's, it's your imagination that fills in. Your imagination doesn't have like a budget. You can just, Mm. it can be anything in in that doorway. And that's far scarier than filling it uh, with a man in, in, in a rubber suit or something, just holding that shot. Um, of of like an empty doorway is mm. is scary. It's as that hell. anticipation, isn't yes. it? Which is what
5: this film's all about. It's mm. that build up. Mm. Um, he gets the psychic gets a tour of the house, which is always useful, showing us the audience the geography yeah. uh, of where we are. Um, and he's not comfortable with what's in that house. He gives Katie the number of a demonologist. Um,
3: let's not let's not forget Mika is actively rude to a man who yeah. has come to help out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like mm, bullshit. I mean, he doesn't say. That. I can't remember what he says, but
5: it is basically mm, bullshit. I don't know. I'd find it hard to take a psychic seriously. Yeah, but you'd still well, have a common courtesy not to say it to their face. Like what, someone who's lying to my wife to get money out of her. Yeah, but in this instance, he's not.
4: Yeah, because he knows that it's real. Like I think I really do think. I mean, like look, I'm, I know I'm a lady banging on about toxic masculinity. I, I'm <laughs> self conscious of that, but like it does feel like the real the real demon in this film is like you know like I don't want any other. Dude's fixing my problem for me, and that mm-hmm. feels like where the mm-hmm. where the problem escalates, and it starts with with that scene Yeah,
3: uninvited as well. Yeah. She doesn't ever go. Mika, please yeah. help me with this. It's like all him sort of driving yeah. it forward. He's like, you know, that's he's just so fucking like blasé <laughs> about it as well. Like when he's like. So, do you know any tricks to get this going? Because I'm bored. You know, (laughs) where's the demon? Can you just call him or something? He's like so flippant about it, which we can talk about at the end because I think it plays into the end.
5: Night number three at 209. There's a low rumbling. Door handle rattles, door creaks and opens. Um, There's a sort of almost half jump scare here where um, Katie screams, but it's a spider. Um, did you like the fact that he grabs his camera before going to help her <laughs> is that what you two filmmakers would do
1: yeah because do, do you know what like um, I personally don't believe in ghosts or monsters or anything yeah. like that um, but if there was the chance of capturing one like I'm the kind of person who I really want to believe like the Fox Mulder poster I want to believe mm. because that it, w- it would it would mean that there's something else out there not just us so I would definitely grab my camera on my camera phone and, and and try and capture something if yeah. I knew it was going to be that,
4: uh, I was going to say let's let's be honest. Mika's uh, main priority isn't for the health and welfare of his partner. It's no. it's to do, it's to dominate the sit and control the situation. Yeah. so it makes sense
3: because we didn't really touch on this as well. Yeah. Because obviously, like when they get around to calling the demonologist, mm-hmm. he's not there. He's gone on holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, but. The reason they don't call him immediately is again because Mika says, do not call the demonologist. So if they called him Mm. when the psychic gives them the number right away, he might have been there. But no, Mika says, don't call him. And by the time they get around to calling him, he's on holiday. Mm.
5: I don't think demonologists should be allowed to go on holiday if (laughs) if they are this important to these equations. Demons don't take holiday, so demonologists should. Exactly. (laughs) Um,
1: But do you think, just about Michael, really quickly, do you you think the fact that he's a day trader, they they gave him that job title to make you think, okay, this guy reacts? to data and to fluctuations on a daily basis, and and um, he commits his his actions to the things that he can see and 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 physically. Mm. Yeah, there's something to do with his job title and the way he acts mm-hmm. um, in this film, I think.
3: And also, it means he's at home all day as well because he can yeah. do yeah, it from a exactly. computer and like you know he it's sort of. I guess because his home is his workplace. It's like, this is my everything. So that's why he controls it. Because you know how controlling you are at work. Or he is, if you're a trader, you know, he brings that into the home. So there's no separation. It's not like he comes home to relax
5: or anything. He's sort of always on at Mm -hmm. home. It's true, yeah. Uh, This is the moment where he gets slightly annoyed that she's never mentioned the whole demon thing before. He then locks the doors and Katie counters with, whatever's happening, it's already here. Uh, night number five 2.55 in the morning Low rumbling Whispering Katie gasps And wakes with a fright uh, She's had a nightmare And there's a loud bang uh, They play the tape The next morning And they hear This unintelligible voice um, The thing Wants to communicate With them And um,
4: My name's Toby
1: <laughs> You find out It's Toby in Parallel activity three, I
5: think. I think so, yeah, three, right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's all to do with Do you know the the whole mythology? It's the, the grandmother made a deal with the demon and now the demon wants the firstborn son and <laughs> these are two daughters and it's um it's been passed down through the family, but the family sort of brought it on themselves, the the three generations up. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do like the bit where Mika does
3: ask it a question. He goes, Would you be happier? Uh, communicating through a Ouija board, and you hear that ever so slightly, slight change, and they go, mm. <laughs>
5: mm. Uh, Oh, we'll jump to that bit then. So night number 13, um, more happens. It's more of the same, really. That question gets asked. Then we're in night number 15 at one thirty-six am low rumbling, Katie gets up. She seems to be in a trance. Uh, she turns around, she stands, and she stares at Mika for two hours with Creepy. the clock speeding up. This Which What freaked, a great idea. It
3: freaked me the fuck out, this scene. When I first saw it, I was like,
5: well, how is this scary? But it is just it's, standing it's over It's him. so simple, but so effective. And that was, she was just going to stare at him for 30 seconds. And then he suddenly had the idea to speed up the clock. Yeah. No, I had a girlfriend that used
1: to sleepwalk and uh, she did that to me once. I would just wake up in the night and then she would be in the middle of the room just staring at me. But oh. in, in a kind of a trance, and i just be like, need to get rid of this girl.
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is dark. Um, Mika goes looking for her and finds finds Katie rocking in a chair on the porch. Uh, Poor old Oren Pelly. He says that the question he gets asked a lot is, how did Katie get out without setting off the alarm? (laughs) Um, And he always answers, it's just something demons can do. Well done, Oren. It doesn't matter. I can't imagine thinking of that. (laughs) Um, uh, But he says that in his mind, this is the demon doing a test run for seeing how much it can overpower and control Katie. Mm -hmm. It hasn't tried anything quite this much yet in terms of getting her to leave the room. So um, Mika borrows a Ouija board. You know about Ouija boards, you two? Yeah, love
4: them.
1: Do you? I have a whole I have a whole bunch of them. Yeah, like I I I kind of collect them. I guess Um, I don't believe in them, but I think they're kind of cool to have. Mm
5: -hmm. Yeah, I bet they're all better than this one because they just printed out what looks like a Ouija board and stuck it to a bit of plywood. <laughs> it looks like an expensive Ouija board in the movie, but, you know, they were doing this on a very low budget. And They know. were banned at our school after we went on a residential
3: once and some of the lads, lads, uh, decided to do a Ouija board at night and and then they said that uh, it told them that the bus was going to crash on the way back from the residential. And cue the following morning, every girl in the year was crying their eyes out and refusing to get on the bus uh, home because a Ouija board had told them it was going to crash. It's kind of like a really, really parochial final destination. that's what I'm thinking.
1: It's actually like um, we were talking earlier on off... off, uh, about the band Ash. You mm. know, I wrote a little film thing for Ash um, and it, it involved them doing a Ouija board. So, it, and um, basically, and this is a g- genuine story, they did this Ouija board as part of this like uh, video that they were going to go on a DVD of them doing a, um, a, uh, a Ouija board, and Mark got possessed. For Real and he refused to go on stage after that because he was he was acting weird. And then Channel 4 made a documentary called Love and Destruction. You can find it on on uh, YouTube of Mark's Mark from Ash, the bassist from Ash, his um exorcism. What? Um oh and, my the, God. and that was all because I wrote this little thing for them doing the Ouija board. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, this was it's a few years back. All right. Um, yeah, we'll check post out. that on the old Twitter. Yeah, That's love amazing. and destruction.
3: Because <laughs> I mean, I you know, if I I do genuinely, I have it in me to want to believe. I, it's yeah. sort of that always that battle with cynicism mm. and that sort of desire, like you said, for the X Files. You yeah. know, I want to believe. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But
5: yeah. Have you ever done a Ouija board? We've
4: done a lot of séances. Oh, so many. Yeah, so I feel like it's the same kind of territory. For fun yeah. or research? Well, we did like, I felt like we did 50 on host.
5: We
1: did we did loads in the um, in the lead up to host just so we knew the beats so we could just uh write about uh, séances and especially doing séances on Zoom. We didn't know how that would go, so mm. we did that. And then afterwards, every single person asked us to do a séance with them for press reasons mm. and interviews. Yeah. okay, here we go again.
3: Anything uh, weird? Ghosts. Anything weird ever happened? even
1: once even slightly weird well not one to believe well post host um, oh bless Emma Emma was very scared because it was filmed in their own houses and and Emma they're, they're all believers Emma wouldn't go to sleep um, in her own house anymore, in that bedroom where she filmed it in. So she would just either call me or text me until the sun comes up and then she would go to sleep. She was like, the sun's come up, I can go to sleep now. Oh my God. Because she thought there was a guy standing in, in her room.
4: We gave them PTSD, yeah. basically.
1: So I had to buy her sage, I had to yeah. Amazon her some sage so she could burn it in her house in order to, to get rid of this, <laughs> the, the demon
4: from house. La- I should be laughing.
5: Yeah. <laughs> no, but, um, honestly, You're terrible she's... people.
4: Yeah. But, this, but what, this, what I love about this, it goes to show like how interesting the human brain is and how susceptible we are Mm -hmm. to this and how we like what we you know our narratives what we think is going on can like change reality which i think you know happens in the Blair Witch and it also to some extent happens in this film they're kind of like their negative energy or like what you know trying the is feeding off them wanting it so you know I, i think it's just a testament to that
5: so uh, this Ouija board bursts into flames um, <laughs> the next day Mika's trying to figure out what it's written um and the names Edine and Edine and Diane come up
3: does it has it scorched an image of a demon onto it i can't I couldn't tell you know there's something that's like it looks like there were two eyes and a demonic kind of shape from where it caught fire did anyone else
1: see that Or no, am I seeing things I want to believe I thought that was I thought that was just just the markings and because
5: like the yes and no were look like two eyes or something yeah. okay. Wait, but no, I, I'll go back. It probably the years, actually. You're probably I right. Wonder. But yeah. what does happen is this name, which does come back a little later. Uh, but Katie then agrees to Mika's powder experiment. Um, and so they put powder on the, the hallway. Um, and in the night, 3.15am, low rumbling, heavy footsteps. Mika wakes up and there are footsteps in the powder. He finds the door to the attic. He gets a ladder. You're right, that is terrifying. I wrote down terrifying. That is terrifying. (laughs) Uh, He looks around up there, and as Oren Paddy said, in a normal horror film, something would jump out, but we purposely didn't do that here. We wanted to defy horror conventions and audience expectations. So instead, he finds a burnt photo of Katie in front of her old house. Uh, And they did that all in one shot, and uh, they only did that once, and they... Nailed it.
4: For me, that was a redeeming moment for Mika because I was like, you know what? Like, I hate you, you shithead, but well done. like, Having the courage to go up in that ladder, Mm. I would not. I would not. This is when
5: the ADR comes in because um, the version they shot, he runs out and runs up there. Mm -hmm. And uh, Pelly said, when I watched it back, he was too much like a movie character. He was actually Mm. too heroic. And so they ADR'd him saying, I'm not going in there. Uh, I'm not going up there. I'm just going to look. And suddenly the scene worked because he seems more... Real. He seems more vulnerable. He seems more like a normal person.
3: I don't know whether it's a happy accident or it was done intentionally. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say it was done intentionally, but after we've seen the footprints appearing and the powder on the floor, when Mika climbs up to the attic and Katie's sort of holding the ladder, so she points the camera back down towards the floorboards... And you are waiting for a footprint to appear Sorry, in that shot Ooh. while the camera's pointed at the ground. So we've just seen them a moment ago while he's up in the attic. He's not
5: happy with the footprints um, he, because he said <laughs> too many people have told him they look like chicken footprints or have asked him if he, but they were dinosaur footprints. And so he says he wished he'd made them a bit more abstract. So it wasn't yeah. quite right. so clear because he said in actuality, um, that's not the demon's feet that's just how it's choosing to manifest itself and this mm-hmm. is all about this what it's doing there is just part of its plan to draw attention towards Katie's photo up mm-hmm. in the attic
1: mm-hmm. we, we have I mean obviously we're inspired by a lot of movies for, for hosts and hosts we have a whole footprint in the powder scene as well mm. in, in that bit um
4: she's normal footprints. I yeah, think. we just yeah,
1: yeah it's just it's, I think VFX are a little bit easier than they were back then. So we we, can, <laughs> we made them look like human footprints. I love
3: it. I I really like the footprints in the powder yeah. in this. It just because it it makes you realize there is a physical invisible thing walking around yeah. at night which I, you know With power
5: as well. It feels like a powerful thing. They argue about who is control and I'm going to quote Alex quoting the film. You are absolutely powerless says Katie which is a terrifying concept. (laughs) Uh, Demonologist on holiday. Call Dr. Frederick. And then night number 18, 3.53am. Low rumbling, lights turn on, footsteps, Mika wakes up, lights go off, door slams, loud bang from outside, door rattles. Uh, they do some investigating and they hear three knocks on the door, head downstairs, hear creaking, footsteps, and then uh, they finally go to bed. But the next morning, Katie's on the couch and she looks terrified and shattered. And it's it's sad when we know what's about to happen, really, because yeah. she's she's broken at this point. Mm-mm. This demon's breaking her.
1: The, and th- the three knocks is, is really symbolic um Any time three's in the horror movie it it always makes me think of the fact that um especially when it's to do with like ghosts and otherworldly stuff just um Thomas doubting Christ like uh, three mm. times that that thing that always plays in my mind like is that the reason why they pick three and I'm guessing it is
5: yeah yeah I'm sure it is um now everything changes because they're having dinner and it's daytime. And they hear a loud bang from upstairs Um, and they find a picture of them smashed, but it's Mika's face. Who's, who's cut up? This is like the slime bit in Claire <laughs> yeah, Witch. It's, the slime it's bit. like you know, singling out one person. And this is a scene that was added afterwards. This oh. is one of this is one of the reshoots um, because they wanted to show the entity becoming more confident, which is why it's active in daylight. And they wanted to to threaten Mika so he'd be more open to finding a solution and oh. accepting Doctor Frederick's coming back. Come at me, bro! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Doctor Frederick's does show up. Um, he feels something quite apparent over Parry when he gets to the door and he is out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he literally goes, fuck this. <laughs> nope, not going in there. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Bloody hell, Fredericks. Um, but that's their last hope. Gone. Uh, night number 19. Two incidents on this night. One thirty am the sheet next to Katie starts moving independently and sort of reveals her foot <laughs> and then sort of moves her foot. Um, he's He said he placed this shot all over the film because it could... It could happen at any yeah. time. Yeah. Um, but he said initially it was at the start, but it worked better here when the audience is sort of primed for something big to happen and you're just given something small. Mm. Which is, did you find with, with something like dash cam, when it gets so <laughs> hectic, you do need, towards the end, you need a moment of quiet every now and then? Or do you just want to keep powering? You do need dynamics
1: because you, you can't just keep someone on the end of, edge of their seat the entire time. You need to give them a little moment of to breathe out. So you could start the process again because yeah. yeah, exhausted,
5: yeah, unsustainable for an audience, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so three four a.m., the landing light turns on, and they hear a knocking. And the light goes off, and they hear a low grunting. Uh, Katie wakes and wakes Mika, and she says she felt it breathing next to her. Mm. And no. she could next day she says she could feel it watching her.
3: Would you not? I mean, I know, like Katie's whole thing is look, wherever I go, it'll follow me. There's no point in leaving, it, it'll follow me. You would go out into a public place, though. Yes. You would go and sleep in a dormitory somewhere or like be around people or be outside the house, whether or not the logic dictates wherever you go, the demon will go. You'd still do that. You just wouldn't sit in that house on your own. You wouldn't. And you
1: would change your sleep schedule a little bit. I, I would sleep during the day yes. and be awake during the night yeah. and not be in that house as well. And also, I think they should have they kind of separated and gone their own way because... Yeah, there's there's lots of things you could have done to prevent the um, ultimate outcome. I think
3: obviously it's not sustainable. That is your yeah. home. You 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 can't just like keep moving around forever, like mm-hmm. it yeah. follows or something. But you you could until the fucking demonologist comes back from his holidays. You could go right, <laughs> let's fuck off out of let's here. Let's holiday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he comes back, then we'll just get him over rather than stay here and wait to die. Yeah.
4: Yeah, because that, I mean, that, that was two, there was two things that kind of broke my sort of believability with this film. It was like, yeah, why don't you just spend the night in a hotel or something? And mm. um, the second thing was, um, I wasn't sure why they never ha- seemed to have friends around. Like, especially for Mika's personality, I thought he'd want to show off.
5: Mm, the true. demon. She has know? a friend over, but he he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't have any friends. Yeah, day trading. Yeah, don't, be, you don't make many friends doing be, that. Be, you
4: know, to like have a proper like, guys look, come and come and see. Mm, like you know, yeah. and I wanted that. I I was surprised why they didn't do that. But then there's you know there's so many psychological reasons why you mm. might want to like.
5: Well, or, or budgetary reasons for budget yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but
1: also maybe it's embarrassing for him because you know yeah, he has he like a, a straight laced job he doesn't want people to think oh he's kind of kooky I'm not going to trust him with True. my investments or whatever
5: um, Mika finds Diane Mercer on a website who's experienced the same exp- uh, stuff in the 60s she called an exorcist they tried to get rid of the demon they made it worse and she died Diane is one of the names that was on the Ouija board earlier so no. that was the demon telling them I killed her don't think about exercising me because this is what happens Wow I think that's the message here yeah um, and they then they show you this freaky grainy footage of Diane which I, I don't think works that it's sort of it's the first time we're, we're out of the aesthetic of the film and it first time I'm being reminded I'm watching a movie which yep. is surely not the point with this a, a, a
1: complete mistake I think I yeah. think if they could go back they would get rid of that because it really takes you out of mm. the, the moment
5: and there was a lot yep. more of that originally they actually that's actually the the, the paired back version of it but yep. just Get rid. It's like in the in the
1: Blair Witch Project. They originally had other footage, um, like news reels from um from and Par stuff and some some other things they had in the film, which they they kind of took out and they put on the website
5: instead. Mm.
4: You know what? I don't even remember this. And I saw it like a year ago. So mm-hmm. obviously just like, shoo, it's irrelevant to the film. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
5: Good. All right. Well, I'm glad you don't remember this bit. because it's <laughs> shite. Uh, night number 20, 4.31am. We're near the end now. Uh, Katie slides off the bed and gets dragged down the corridor. The door slams behind her. Mika chases after her and manages to bring her back screaming. Uh, they said, uh, Pelly said this gets the biggest reaction uh, in a cinema, mm. that scene. Um, he said poor Katie had to do that over and over again as well. I can believe that gets the biggest reaction. It's terrifying.
3: Mm. It's one thing having a sheet dragged off. You imagine if your invisible brother had dragged (laughs) you out of
5: bed at night down the corridor. (laughs) Bastard Pete. Um, So the next day she's got a huge red bruise on her back, um, which looks like something's bitten her. Um, They decide to go and sleep in a hotel. So it is building up to that moment. um, And then he finds Katie, sort of half asleep, half in a trance, holding a bloody cross (laughs) um, to her thigh. So, what do you make of that moment? I probably wouldn't burn
3: it in the next scene. I think that's a mistake. <laughs> Burning a crucifix at any time in a movie yeah. like this is a bad
5: idea. I think if you're believing some of the uh, Heather stuff we were talking about on Monday, this is—I think this is potentially Katie's last moment of being herself, mm-hmm. of sort of humanity, and she grabs the cross to try and protect herself one last time before she's sort of gone forever. Yeah. And I don't know what the blood is. I it could be Isn't stigmata. She, I thought she was squeezing it so yeah. tightly sure. it had um, it had ruptured her hand. Yeah, could a cross do that? because I mean, the other thing I thought is yeah. is it some kind of stigmata
1: I mean, I mean that's that's a good shout but then what would that actually mean I mm. know oh, it doesn't yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work
4: or is it all oh, she's already possessed and it's sort of rejecting her mm, yeah. like, I think that could know? be that
5: could be it but is that uh, cross also maybe the last thing in the house that is project- protecting her because as you say Mika burns it along with the photograph yep. and then all bets are off uh, the next morning he wakes her and says we're leaving and she says she wants to stay. Uh, he, pleads, uh, she, she ple- he pleads with her and she says, I don't want to go. We'll be OK. It's better if we stay. And then when he's gone, she sort of slightly demonically says, I think we'll be OK now. <laughs> and then she smiles at the camera. It's great. That so, voice, the effect <laughs> that they put on the voice, great. Do you know, they also do visual effect there that he figured out how to do. Her, um, her eyes right. start smiling before her mouth does just by a second he sort of split her face and really? got this bit to move wow. and yeah and that's so that's why it's just uneasy watching it but he said that was about the only digital effect I could figure out to do in the film <laughs> That's, that's that's just cool. that's genius to even yeah. think to do that. Yeah, simple but effective. Yeah. And now we're in the end game. Night number twenty one, one twenty seven a.m. Um, Katie wakes up, stands up, turns and stares at Mika. Um, the covers slowly move off his body. She walks around the bed and stands over him. For nearly two hours. Mm. And then 3.14am, she walks out of the room, starts screaming. He runs to help her. Um, uh, then there's silence. Uh, then slow footsteps up the stairs. You, you heard him scream just before this. And then Mika is thrown into the camera. That's really Mika doing that stunt. Um, she has blood on her. She stoops to sniff him, maybe. <laughs> um, Pelly says he doesn't know what she's doing there. And then she crawls towards the camera, smiles, and with a de- demonic face attacks the camera, and that's our final shot.
3: I've forgotten they threw Mika's body at the camera, <laughs> and I, I've seen it, this would be the third time uh, this week. It scared the shit out of me all over again. Oh, i completely wow. forgotten. It's such a good jump
1: scare. So effective. And again, we, we've taken a little bit of that for host
3: as well.
5: Mm.
1: There's things flying out the camera. And we,
5: we, stole, we stole everything. Yeah, 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 we did. <laughs> uh, Pelly said, so that's the ending that Steven Spielberg suggested. Um, so uh, what was the Oren, uh, get it. To, Oren Pelly said he thought this was too over the top until he watched it with an audience and then he yeah. realised it was it was just fine. So the original ending... Um, it's all online as well. All the, yeah, it's yeah. all online. But the original ending, uh, it, it's all the same at the beginning in terms of Katie leaving, Mika running down, screaming. Uh, the original ending, Katie returns... She's got blood on her. She um, rocks back and forth for a day. Uh, Cops enter the house and confront her and it sort of brings the film back into reality and connects with the mention of the police at the start of the movie. Mm. Um, He said that ending didn't really deliver. He was never sure about it. But then the alternate ending, which is... On the Blu-ray as well, um, Katie comes up with blood on her. She's holding a cam, uh, a knife. She walks towards the camera and she slits her own throat yeah. and dies.
3: That makes sense because I wondered what that bit was at the start where he mimes slitting a throat uh, when mm. he's in the kitchen with it the knife. And I was, I because th- I couldn't remember the end. I was like, <gasps> oh, he's going to get his throat slit at the end. That's how he's going to die. He's
5: he's just mimed his own death without <laughs> realising it. But it's that. But regarding what you said and the 2016 Blair Witch, the reason Pelle was happy to remove that one was because it was the first time they introduced gore in the film. Yeah. Mm. And he liked the cleanness of yeah. it just not being there at all.
1: Well, I really actually like the the version where she's just she's against her bed just rocking back and forth because in my mind that's her slightly going back into her old self and having remorse for what what's happened because she's just like what have I done and she it's her coming to terms with it and then the police turn turns up she doesn't really put up a fight. Um yeah, it's uh I mean, they're all the interest in those endings, especially post the film being a massive success.
5: Mm. I think I would have the ending that they used, but I don't think I'd have her demonic face come in the camera. I just think I'd end with her smiling. Yeah, I think that yeah. would that would creep me out yeah. more. Yeah cuz you've already done the jump
3: scare of something flying at the camera mm. so it's just a repetition. Isn't yeah. It?
5: Yeah. Um the words on the screen Amika's body was discovered by police on October the 1st. Katie's whereabouts remain unknown and he said uh, Perry said they had arguments about whether they needed that text. And I don't I actually don't think it's necessary at the end. I like it. Do you? Yeah, I like it. I like the idea that she's out there in the world. She's escaped. <laughs> she's off doing a thing as a demon. Um but he also said he couldn't believe that Paramount let them finish the film without any credits. So the film just ends is that there. True. Yeah. Well,
1: what they did, if I remember correctly, is they just put a website address, right? And then you have to go to the website address to find the credits.
5: Yeah. Maybe that is it. It's just one yeah. card with some Paramount yeah information on it. So maybe the website's there, but it, it yeah. does just stop dead, which is yeah, it's great. Sounds great. Can't it's ballsy. That. yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't think we did the numbers, Alex. But the no. budget for this one was—I mean, this is Wikipedia. I'm going by, <laughs> but 15 grand budget, 215 grand post-production and then 193 million gross. Blair Witch anything between 200 and 500 grand obviously the original um cut of it cost 50 grand or mm-hmm. whatever it was but yep. um and that gross 248 million dollars. So these are two of the most financially successful films of all time sort of you mm-hmm. know cents to dollars. Um yeah and I you know does it will this still happen can this still happen? I guess it can. You guys did host. It's it's not done 250 million yet, has Don't it? do trust the Wikipedia. No, there, there was one
1: point on Wikipedia that yeah. said the film made, yeah, $270 million. So I was like, really? Where's, where's
4: my money, where's- bitch? <laughs> <laughs> For real? I did not realise
1: that. Um, yeah, no, I do think, again... It's it, it's very prescient that uh, found footage films are the ones that make the most money because they're the ones that scare us the most. I think because mm-hmm. they they play with our idea that um, that cinema is safe, watching something on your TV is safe. Mm. Found footage films remove that barrier and puts you in the film where people are using their real name there's real situations, and with host, like it makes you feel like you're on that Zoom call with them. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's there's no pretense there, um, or, or you're in that car in dashcam. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think if people want to make a movie that potentially could make a whole ton of money and uh, really affect people, make a found footage movie, mm. but don't make a bad one. Like, find a way yeah. to make something original, um, because it could potentially could be critically and, um, you know, the audience loves it, too.
5: Well put. So, Love any it. more? No, it's me, John. Okay, uh, so let's do the bits. Um Jemma, what was your favourite scene?
4: Uh yes, that attic scene. Although when now you've mentioned it, that one where you hear them screaming and running down the corridor, that oh, that gives me chills. But yeah, I think it's gotta be the attic one because I'm I'm just in Mika's foot shoes for the first time, going like, oh, I really don't don't make me go up there. Please don't make me go up there. And it's just you're just waiting for something horrible to happen. But you I love how they um, twisted your Uh, expectations you know finding the photo instead of a jump scare Mm -hmm.
3: so good isn't it because you can't even make out what it is initially it's just this weird like
1: amorphous shape in the middle of the screen oh yeah Jed my favorite bit is is Mika being flown at the camera Mm -hmm. just because it's such a such a a cool jump scare Um, in a movie that doesn't have that many jump scares Um, I think it's iconic and yeah there's I'm uh, not to promote myself but I'm doing a video game where Something like that features as well, and I studied that bit in Parameters so many times so to work out the timing of, of when's the best time to do it. Um, and it's yeah.
5: interesting that was the one thing that Steven Spielberg, yeah, <laughs> yeah brought yeah, to the he movie. Goes. He could make a career out of it, yeah,
0: he knows weird. what he's doing.
5: <laughs> he I, I mean, there is a little bit of a lineage from Poltergeist, uh, mm.
1: which um, I know he didn't uh, direct as such, but he was around on the set like all the time, um. To, to this like it's a similar situation mm-hmm.
5: and then on Oren Pelli obviously went on to produce the Insidious films which yep. has that same theme of the it's not the house that's haunted it's the person yeah. mm. uh, Alex uh, I've, I know he doesn't like them I know Oren doesn't like them but I love
3: those footprints those footprints mm. are great because mm-hmm. you know they, they do look inhuman <laughs> and they look like something that shouldn't be walking around invisible at night they mm. scare me it gives it gives It gives it a presence. It makes it a thing as opposed to
5: just doors slamming and what have you. Cool. I'm going for Katie standing by that bed for hours. Just that concept of someone standing over me watching me all night really (laughs) frightens me. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? All different. Uh, Most valuable whatever. Jed. Jed. I'm gonna go return on investment again. Like the,
1: <laughs> just, just because I think people need to, because I, I find that fan footage films are much maligned, not only in general but in the horror community as well. And any chance I get to fly the flag for for fan footage films, I'll do so. And. I, I'm trying to persuade because I even after host and dashcam, I'm still in these meetings where people go, "Oh, you sure you want that to be found footage? Don't you want to make a conventional film?" Because they just don't trust it. And I'm just like, "Look at the money! Look at the figures!" Um, so yeah, the return on investment—it made infinity money based on this budget—and also basically kickstarted Blumhouse, uh, which has produced so many great yeah. movies, including our own. So if it wasn't <laughs> for, if it wasn't for that, then uh, I don't know where we'd be. Gemma.
4: Uh, does this count like for me it's the silence in this film mm. like it's I mean it's the, like the opposite film to dash cam um, <laughs> in a lot of ways um, but I, I just love how it yes it can be frustrating yes it takes its time but there's so much silence and stillness and you're mm. just always just like um, and it really just gets under my skin and I, I don't there are not many films I think that use utilize silence as much but when it's done well it it, it works and Animal Activity is the one
1: the only other movie I can so think true. of that's similar and has that stillness I don't know if you guys have seen it but Lake Mungo mm. oh, yeah. um, mm. which is another kind of faux documentary style, style film but it's the stillness in that it's the scary, the scary yeah it's part. not easy to
5: see but well we're seeking out isn't it Lake Mungo it's a great movie
3: mm. yeah so true about the silence thing because once you've got that silence as a sort of baseline as well yeah, you like the the most minute introduction of any kind of sound like a low
4: hum listen out yeah, suddenly
1: becomes quite ominous yeah. and, and that's the thing we haven't discussed in, in both these episodes the fact that there is no music telling you where to be scared true which it's your mind telling you when to be scared when a scary things when a scary things happen it's not just like violins yeah. and it's just it's, it's kind of like mm. gestating in your mind
5: Uh, I'm going to pick Oren Pelli. I mean, he bought a book on directing. He bought a book (laughs) on effects. He bought a book on how to market your movie. He just did this all himself in his house. I think that's so inspiring. Mm -hmm. You know, like what you guys have done. I think this should be a lesson to everyone, really.
1: Alex?
3: Yeah, Oren Pelli as well. I, I, I just think that whole conceit of the repetition of the same shot of that camera over the bed night after night is a sort of a reset of like, okay, it's this next night and using that as the base for... Escalating events, I think, is great.
5: I think that's genius. So, Oren Pelly. And if you could change anything in this one, what would you change? Vemma? Uh,
4: Mika's acting. <gasps> Sorry, that's, that's really mean. That's really mean. Oh, I'd, I'd, okay, I'd, I'd have. Too then, late now, then, no. they have just... a dinner party.
5: <laughs> <laughs> and Mika wouldn't speak. Yes.
1: <laughs> Jed? Um, I, I would take out the, the that kind of grainy video mm, showing you so a bit of the exposition. That could have been on a website or something. It's unnecessary. It takes you out of it. Um, but yeah.
3: Alex. So Mika is a dick. I think we've established <laughs> that. Uh, which is a problem at the end because after you overcome the initial jump scare of him flying at the camera, you're like, Well, yeah, (laughs) he was going to die, wasn't he? Like, I don't feel any remorse for him as a character dying. Mm -hmm. He's the only character to die in the film. And yet you really, you know, you've never empathised with him. You don't have any sympathy for him. So it's sort of like, well, he spent the movie asking for it from the demon directly and now he's dead. And I just think there is, I, I think it's important that Mika's character is the way he is. But I just think, just explain it to us a little bit better in so much as he was bullied at school, which has made him an alpha male later in life. His boss emasculates him at work as a day trader. Just something that explains why he is so, like, protective of this house and his world and all of that. Just so I can sort of sympathise a bit and have a bit of remorse at the end. Like, make him someone who I go that's a shame that
5: he died. So he's a bit of a dick and he deserves to die because <laughs> of it. It's really hard. I mean, I don't like day traders. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, I am going... I would absolutely remove the scene where Dr. Fredericks um, comes back over to the house and then turns turns around and leaves. I mean, it's some... You know, I remember watching it in the cinema and people laughing in that scene and maybe you do need a bit of light relief, but I don't think it's there for that reason. <laughs> no. It's so funny. And, yeah. you know, have him just put the phone down on her or something. But I just, I think his acting's a bit off there and it just, again, this place gives me the (laughs) heebie-jeebies. It completely takes me out of the movie and it could be easily excised.
1: Yeah. But do you think he did that because he, like like he'd said in in interviews, he wanted to subvert horror conventions and the convention usually is this demonologist comes in and and (laughs) almost like saves the day and yeah, so he, you're,
5: yeah. You're absolutely right, but it could happen over the phone or it, they could just reshoot the scene. So it's it's it, it's funny and it should I don't think it should be that funny. I I'm sort of split because I do
3: know what you mean because after that moment and when that coupled with the fact they can't get hold of the demonologist, yeah. it's like you are. It's a real like it's a very depressing final act because you are waiting for the inevitable to happen when they've run out of options. Yeah. Okay, I can't take it back. (laughs) It's it's still my change. I'm not angry. I'm not angry.
5: Just disappointed.
3: All right, then, there we go. That is Paranormal Activity, which means now it's time for the verdict. You want answers?
5: I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth!
3: So I picked uh, these movies this week, which means I'll decide who gives their verdict first. Uh, Chris, would you like to go first?
5: Sure. Um, I love both of these movies. As I said, they the last two horror films to really properly give me nightmares. So I think they're fantastic. But there is a winner for me this week, an outright winner. Um, and it's the film that hits me on a primal level. And it's The Blair Witch Project. It just makes me feel all strange emotions. Sometimes I find bits of it stupid, bits boring, bits annoying, bits frustrating. But it's all it, it they all serves a purpose, those emotions. And then towards the end, it makes me feel really sad and then completely devastated in that final shot as I'm sort of re-evaluating what I've seen and heard before and also when I'm just thinking about this person dying. And so for that reason, it's one of the greatest horror films of all time, Blair Witch Project for me. Okay. Jed?
1: This one's an easy one for me. Much as I like Paranormal Activity, the Blair Witch Project is... Probably the best horror movie of all time, uh, for a number of reasons. Um, obviously, the return on investment, which <laughs> I'd like to, <laughs> to stress, but also it's it's just this legacy. The legacy of the Blair Witch Project will live on long after us, and it basically kickstarted this subgenre, which I think is the best subgenre of horror because it. Um, kind of generates real fear in us because the authenticity of found footage makes us feel scared, and I just want to feel scared. Mm. That's it. It, it. Like it gets the adrenaline pumping, and the Blair Witch started that. Paranormal Activity continued it, and it is 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 really high up there in 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 the uh, in in the list of best horror films ever. But for me, Blair Witch Project is perfect.
3: All right, two for Blair Witch so far. I might jump in here if that's all right, Gemma. So. um I do think it's very close. I think both films are very good. I enjoyed re-watching them this week. Uh, Location plays a big part for me, and you touched on this earlier, Jed. So the woods are already scary. At night? Well, it's terrifying, which is why I do not find myself in the woods very often. (laughs) However, I am at home a lot. Uh, I like being at home. And so the idea of an invisible entity stalking the corridors of... I'm I'm picking up my house too much. The corridor of my house (laughs) at night is, for me, the stuff at nightmares. And also, while I said on Monday, I really admire the ambiguity in The Blair Witch... I love the fact that there is a thing, there is a monster, there is a demon in paranormal activity. That scares me more mm-hmm. than the Blair Witch. So, my vote is for paranormal activity. So, Gemma, oh, you go I Blair Witch, it wins. You go paranormal, it's a draw.
4: I think, and this is to, I'm going to echo what you said, Chris. I think um, it's going to be Blair Witch for me. It is like literally one of my favorite films yes we don't we never know if it's really a demon but i think it's something we have touched on with the paranormal activity when when mika dies we, we just don't i don't care i don't have that like sadness or like you know like melancholy but when blair witch you you do start you do have this connection with heather by the end and you do feel for these guys um and for me that's what elevates it to a superior horror film it's just you do by the end of it you're like i've there's this loss there that there's a tragedy and whereas in Paranormal Activity, it's just like, oh, you just, you did. And also, like, by the end, like, um, what's her face is um, Katie. She's no longer herself anymore. So you, she's already kind of disappeared. So mm-hmm. you, you just have this sort of like, it's almost like everything sort of fades away towards the end in terms of your like connection with the movie. Um, so, yeah, Blair Witch for me. <laughs>
3: Well we have a winner it is the Blair Witch Project our, our co-host who's missing this week Vicky Crompton said also Blair Witch so it is four against one in uh, favour yeah. of Blair Witch it is a unanimous victory for the Blair Witch Project congratulations Excellent
5: Right you're happy I thought you we were happy I am. Yeah. I'll tell
1: Eduardo as well he'll listen to this episode, Oh yeah. lovely
5: <laughs> I hope we said nice things about you we love you Eduardo <laughs> he He'll probably listen to the Blair Witch episode
1: yeah.
3: Oh shit <laughs> Too late uh, Right then huh. uh, let's quickly look at. Head to next Job. week
5: Chris what was the clue you gave on Monday uh, both these films are a real drag and the films are well I thought we needed to lighten things up a little bit this has been a this has been a harsh week so we are doing um, Tootsie and Mrs. Doubtfire hey! wow. um, <laughs> Tootsie is available to rent Google Amazon YouTube and uh, Mrs. Doubtfire is on Disney Plus in the UK Lovely business. That is your homework for the weekend.
3: Tootsie versus Mrs Doubtfire on next week's uh, week's Clash pod. Uh, A massive thank you to Gemma Hurley and Jed Shepherd for coming in today. Cheers, Chris, Alex. It's Mm. been wonderful having you here. Congratulations on Dashcam. Uh, Very exciting. Out in cinemas now. Go get some friends. Go to your local cinema. Have your minds blown. Uh, In the meantime, we will be back on Monday. Remember, homework, Mrs Doubtfire, Tootsie, Follow us on Twitter at ClashPod and Instagram at ClashPod and also subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your pods. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.
0: This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creative Network.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.
4: Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods